And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel. And when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the people uh, came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. As soon as the ark of the covenant of, of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, what does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid, for they said, a God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage. And be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. And they fled every man to his home. And there was a great uh, slaughter for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. And the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. A man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and uh, with dirt on his head. When he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the cry, he said, what is this uproar? Then the man hurried and came and told Eli, now, Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, how did it go, my son? He who brought uh, the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. There's also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate. And his neck was broken and he died, for the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel 40 years. Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant, about to give birth. And when, when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women attending her said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer or pay attention. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God had been captured, and because her father-in-law, because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. The grass withers and the flower fades, 
but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for your holy word. And we uh, humble ourselves before it now that it uh, may instruct us, uh, teach us. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would enlighten our minds to, to understand these words and apply these words into our lives. And I pray that these words would lead us to our Savior, that we might receive him with both faith and obedience. We would believe uh, the things that you have done for us, and we would obey the things you've commanded us. And so, uh, Lord, we open our hearts, our minds. We pray that you would uh, be our teacher now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we are looking at uh, the story in uh, 1 Samuel uh, about when the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines and taken uh, from the Israelites. And you'll notice that the end of this passage that I just read, uh, it describes these events this way in verse 22 where it says, And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the Ark of God has been captured. And so the Ark of the Covenant is referred to as the glory. It's the glory of God. And the glory of God is one of the, the great themes in, in the Bible. What, what is the glory of God? The glory of God is God's displaying of his perfect character, of who he is. It's the, the perfect light, the beauty that shines from him of his love and his truth and his justice and his wisdom and his power. And so the glory of God is the most beautiful thing in existence. And what's so interesting about this passage is it shows us what happens when the perfect, beautiful glory of God enters into the brutal ugliness of human civilization. These two things that are so opposite, what happens when you bring them together? And uh, there are two cultures that are uh, present in this passage that we just read. There's the, uh, the Israelites and the Philistines. The Philistines were a coastal uh, people. It's where we uh, get the modern word Palestine from, from the, the Philistines. And, and both of these people groups were brutal during this time. The Israelites were led by these wicked uh, priests. And the, the Philistines were uh, an aggressive people who were constantly invading the Israelites, trying to take their land. And so, you know, for centuries, actually big portions of the Old Testament are about the wars between uh, the Israelites and the Philistines. And so what happens when you take the beautiful glory of God and you put it into the, in the midst of the blood and brutality and pride and fear and oppression of human life like this? Well, this passage shows us. And I think that we'll find that the answer... Uh, is very similar what happens uh, in the ancient Near East and the Levant and the, uh, in Palestine way back in that day and what happens in our lives when we encounter the glory of God. And what we see is that the glory of God does two things in this passage, which are two points for today, and this is what they are. That the glory of God humbles the proud and the glory of God is humbled for the proud. Two statements that are almost opposite. The glory of God humbles the proud, but also the glory of God is humbled for the proud. And it's truly a, a fascinating story here in, in 1 Samuel 4. And so, um, uh, so we have two points this morning on the glory of God. And the first is this, that the glory of God humbles the proud. 
The glory of God humbles the proud. And that's a, you know, a theme throughout the Bible, uh, of course, that, when, uh, that whenever a human beholds the glory of God, there's no place for pride. There's no place, place for boasting. There's no place to think of our own greatness in the, in the glory of God. And in the, one of the great examples of that is in, in Isaiah, when the prophet Isaiah is, is called to be a prophet. He has this vision of the Lord in heaven, and there's all these angels that are gathered around, and they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You see the mention of the glory there. And immediately after the glory is mentioned, it says, Isaiah says, woe is me, for I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So even the great prophet Isaiah, when he encounters the presence of God's glory, he just says, I'm lost, I'm undone. I have nothing to boast, I have nothing to be proud in within myself. And so the glory of God humbles the proud. Now that's an important truth in our culture. We live in a culture that celebrates pride you know, openly celebrates pride. And so what happens in this passage is we see the growing pride of the Israelites. And we, and we learn some insights about uh, um, pride from these verses that I want to talk about. What, what do we learn about pride from this story? And I want to point out three things for us. The first, pride is often cultivated when we have been mistreated. Pride is often cultivated when we have been mistreated. And you see how this passage begins in verse 1, where it says, And the word, of, the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at, at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. And uh, the Philistines drew up in line against Israel. And when the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. So the setting for this story at the beginning is the Israelites are getting beat up. And when you're getting beat up, you think, well, you know, doesn't getting beat up make you feel humbled? You know, and sometimes it can do that. You know, when you're getting beat up, it humbles you. But very often that's not what happens inside of you. And, you know, if, you, if any of you were ever picked on in uh, middle school or high school, I was picked on in middle school and high school, and, uh, and you see what happens to your mind in your heart when you're getting picked on, what are the thoughts that start coming into your mind? I'm going to show those fools. I'm smarter than them. I'm going to get better grades than them. I'm going to be, do better in life than them. The way we respond to mistreatment is we feeding our hearts that I am going to be better. I'm going to be superior. And all of those things that we're feeding into our hearts is is building pride. And uh, being mistreated, you know, we all already have the seed of pride within our hearts, but then when you're mistreated, it is fertile ground for pride to grow and to harden. And the same thing can happen with Christians. You know, Christians often feel like we don't get the respect that we want in the culture, you know, and we look at media or we look at Hollywood or academia and we start thinking, oh yeah, they have so much wealth, they have so much power, they have so much influence, but we have the truth. And so we mock non-Christians, and we say the world is so foolish, and we are so righteous, and we're so wise. And there is just a subtle difference between having a thoughtful defense of our faith that can turn into an arrogant religious pride. 
And pride is cultivated when we are being mistreated. We're tempted towards pride as a way to protect ourselves from the shame of being made to feel small. And once that's cultivated, uh, you see that uh, that pride grows in this passage. And, and that's the, the second insight about pride is pride first, it's cultivated when we're mistreated. And that second, that pride grows into a kind of triumphalism. Pride grows into triumphalism. By triumphalism, I mean kind of an attitude of superiority that, you know, we're going to defeat our enemies and we're going to crush, we're just going to crush them. And in the wake of the defeat at the, end, at the beginning of this passage, we read in verse 3, how it says, and, uh, and when the troops came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. Now, the ark of the covenant was a, a rectangular box. It was made of wood and it was covered in gold, and it had the, the Ten Commandments inside of it. And what's happening here is that they're thinking that, oh, the Ark of the Covenant is like a magic box. It's like a, it's a, you know, a good luck charm that we bring into battle, and it gives us power that will cause us to win the victory. And so the thing that they really care about is that God's power will be given to them to defeat their enemies. They're not really concerned about obeying the Ten Commandments that is inside the covenant, which is what God really cares about. What they care about is that God's power would be used to serve their prideful desires. God is a tool for them. It's not that they want to serve God and obey him. They want God to serve them and serve their desires. And so we see in verse 4, it says, So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who's enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant. There's such a contrast here. The Ark of the Covenant, which is identified with God's beautiful glory, and then Hophni and Phinehas are these two priests that we've been looking at the last few weeks who blaspheme God and they're abusing people. They're just these wicked men and they're placed right side by side with each other. And they don't actually want the Lord. They don't want to obey the Lord. They don't want to trust the Lord. They don't want to live for the Lord. They want power and victory and they want the Lord to serve their own pride. And when God's people are approaching the Lord this way, what does it sound like? Verse 5. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty sound so that the earth resounded. That's the sound of triumphalism. And I want you to imagine the thrill of that moment. You know, they've been defeated by their pagan uh, neighbors and now they're all coming together. We've got the ark of the Lord, and the Lord of hosts is with us, and we are going to crush our enemies. There are many Christians who feel mistreated right now, and there is going to be a temptation towards a triumphalist pride in the midst of that. For us to say, those fools, we have the truth. And like the bullied kid, there will be a temptation for us to think how much better we are than the world around us. And you can just feel that there are rallying cries among Christians. We have God, we have power, we have the truth. But we might forget that, that in the presence of the glory of God, there is no place for boasting, even among God's people. The glory of God will not be used to serve our pride. And that's why, even though here in this passage, pride is cultivated when we're mistreated and it can grow into a kind of triumphalism. The third thing that we see about pride in this passage is that pride ultimately leads to despair. 
Pride ultimately leads to despair. It's like it crashes and burns. Or as the Proverbs put it, pride goes before destruction. And you imagine the letdown. You know, they'd rallied together around the ark, and they're sure that God is on their side to give them the victory they wanted. And these words are just so tragic in verse 10. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. Even with the ark, they were defeated, and they fled, every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter for their, uh, for their fell uh, of Israel, 30,000 foot soldiers, and the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. They were just a few verses earlier shouting with such confidence that the earth was shaking, and then they're all slaughtered. When the glory of God encounters human pride, the pride is crushed. It is brought low to a point of despair. Or as James puts it, God opposes the proud. Every Christian will experience this humbling at various times in their lives. Every Christian, some of you have experienced that. Some of you have seen that happening in someone else, and you can see that that's what the Lord is doing. And the pain of, oh, they're being brought low. Maybe you're in a season right now where the glory of God is humbling your pride. And usually our pride is, is tied to the deepest sense of, of who we are. There's, there's a certain version of ourselves that we put so much confidence in. It's the, the thing that we rely on as we live through life is this version of how we see ourselves. And it's that version of ourselves that God needs to tear down if our lives are going to be for his glory alone. And God does not delight in bringing people into this despair. You know, for us, uh, our pride is very competitive. So we never see the pride in ourselves. We always see it in other people. And when we see it in other people, we kind of relish when they're being brought down uh, because we have a competitive spirit. The Lord doesn't relish. He, he's not threatened by anyone else's pride. Uh, but also, he will not indulge our pride. And the second half of this chapter gives two descriptions of the despair of, of God's people after these losses. The first is Eli. Eli is the, the leading priest and the judge, the leader of Israel, who's back in Shiloh. And a messenger comes to bring news that both his sons have been killed and that the ark has been captured by the Philistines. And sorrow just overwhelms him. And uh, you see what it says there in verse 17. He who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there's been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons, also Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for the man was old and heavy. So such sorrow overwhelms him. He can't even sit up that he just falls over and breaks his neck and dies. And then the second person who's mentioned in, and is overwhelmed by despair is Phineas, is one of the priest's wife. And uh, this description is so vivid in this, this passage. And you see it there, verse 19, where it says, Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant, about to give birth. And when she had heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead. She gave birth from her, uh, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women attending to her said, Do not be afraid, for you've borne a son. And, you know, this verse just, this line just struck me. 
but she did not answer or pay attention. You know that feeling? She can't even hear anyone talking. She's just in such a daze. Her whole life has been just so unsettled and brought down. This is what it feels like when the glory of God humbles the proud. And you may say, why would God do that to someone? Why would God do that to anyone? And the reason is because pride is the great cancer of the human race. And it must be cut out. God brings us to the point, and his purposes on us are so determined until we can say with the psalmist in Psalm 115, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. We were made for God's glory. That's why we were made to live, not for our own glory. Now this first point, I think, makes sense to us. Okay, the glory of God is so majestic and great, and what does it do? It humbles the proud. But how can we know that this is really good, that God does that? You know, how do we know that God isn't just, you know, uh, you know stripping people down because he's kind of envious, and he's like, I want to be God, and, you know, you guys are thinking too highly about yourself, so I'm going to cut you down because he feels kind of threatened by us. How do we know that this is really God's act of love, God's care and purposes for us? Well, I think the answer to that may be the deepest mystery in the history of the world. Because if this first point is something that we have expected, that God's glory humbles the proud, the second point is not something we would have never expected. And that's that the glory of God is humbled for the proud. The glory of God is itself humbled and humiliated for the sake of the proud. And a couple of things that strike me about this story, one of the things is that for both Eli and the, the, the woman who dies at the end of the, the passage, for both of them, the, the thing that caused their deepest despair was actually not the death of Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's sons and this woman's husband, but it was that the Ark of the Covenant had been captured by the, Israel, by the Philistines. And you say, well, why was that so despairing to them? Well, it meant that their God had been defeated. And I think they went into battle thinking, we've got the Lord of hosts. We've got the creator of heaven and earth who's the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the king of kings. He's the one who delivered the Israelites out of, uh, out of Egypt. He's on our side. And now this puny God from the Philistines has defeated him? And their whole worldview, their whole understanding, their whole sense of security has been unsettled and shaken. And what that tells us is that the apparent humiliation of this passage is not just of the people who lost the battle, but God apparently himself had been humiliated, that he'd been defeated by the Philistine gods. And you'll notice what the ark is called here in verse 4. This is actually one of the, an important verse in the Old Testament where it says, So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. The cherubim were the, the, the metal uh, angels that, that were on uh, engraved, or that were on, on the uh, Ark of the Covenant. What this is saying is that the Ark of the Covenant was God's throne. He was the king of Israel. And the king has now been taken captive with his throne, and the Philistines have taken the throne and their king. And so to the people in this story, and maybe to us, the great despair is it feels like God is really not in control. How could the great king be taken prisoner? 
Now, we'll find next week that God is absolutely in control. And when his, the Ark of the Covenant is taken by the Philistines, it's kind of like a Trojan horse. And he's going to be brought into their camp, and he's going to plague all the people, and he's going to throw down their god, Dagon, and you're going to find, oh, he had a plan all along, and he's actually defeating the enemies. But I think there's something even more profound happening in this story, and you can see it in the words of Phineas's wife, who gave birth to a son at the end of this passage. You see what it says there in verse 21. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God has been captured. And what commentators say about this verse is what it means is is that basically the glory of God has been taken into exile. And exile is one of the important themes of the Old Testament. When the Israelites were saved out of slavery in Egypt and they were brought to the promised land, in the book of Deuteronomy, they're about to go into the promised land and God says, I'm going to give you houses, I'm going to give you vineyards, you're going to eat, you're going to be wealthy, and what you're going to do is you're going to forget about me. You're going to become proud and say, we don't need the Lord. We're strong enough. That's all we need. And he says the result of that is going to be that the neighboring peoples are going to come in and they're going to take you prisoner into exile. And what's so surprising about this passage is here in the midst of the Israelites' pride and sin, the Israelites are not taken into exile. The glory of God is taken into exile in their place. We think that God being humiliated means that he must be out of control, but this is the deep mystery. He's in complete control. And it is a part of his glory to not only humble the proud, but to be humbled himself and humiliated for the proud. And exile is one of the the main ways that the Bible understands what it means for Jesus to die on the cross. What did it mean when Jesus died on the cross? He was taking the exile of his people. He was taken by the, the pagan powers and he was arrested and he was crucified in their place. And just as Jesus was in complete control of going to the cross when he was arrested, when he was beaten, when he was sentenced, when he was in crucified, Jesus says, no one can take my life from me. I lay down my life of my own accord. So it is in this passage. The Philistines can, uh, no Philistine can take the glory of God into captivity. The glory of God goes into captivity of his own accord. God has taken the humiliation of his proud people. He was sent into exile in their place that he might defeat the enemies that they weren't able to defeat themselves. But also that he might reveal his glory, not just to the Israelites, but to the Philistines. He's gonna, the ark is going to go among the Philistines, and they're going to be humbled, and they're going to see his power that they too would believe in the Lord. This is exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross. He let himself be taken into the hands of his enemies so that he could defeat the enemies that we had no power to defeat, the great enemies of sin and death and the devil. If you want to behold the beautiful mystery of the glory of God, this is it. The glory of God is displayed perfectly in the cross of Christ. And so why can you trust the God whose glory humbles the proud and in their triumphalism brings them to places of such deep despair? It's because he himself was willing to be humbled and humiliated for us in our place to save us. Are there ways that God is bringing you low right now and humbling your pride? What will happen to us many times throughout our lives, it is painful. But he has been humiliated in your place so you can trust him. 
as you walk through it. That we might be able to say together with the Apostle Paul, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. One day our pride will be gone. The glory of God will welcome us in and the glory of God will be poured into us and we'll spend eternity amazed at the beautiful glory of the God that we love and the God who loves us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we praise you that um, way back in this ancient story in 1 Samuel 4, among these brutal peoples, there was your glory. And even the glory of the cross, that you would be taken into exile in the place of your people. And Lord, we praise you that Jesus has taken our place on the cross And so, Lord, may we keep our eyes fixed on the cross as you humble our pride. Um, Lord, may we trust you as you do that. And uh, may we look to your love. May we trust in it. Um, And may our lives and our community be lived for your glory alone. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your steadfast love and faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.